The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Refuge Church, good to see you. Have you ever rolled your eyes or felt immediately bored when you hear someone telling a Bible story? I think many of us grew up with the Bible and eventually we felt like we kind of outgrew it, right? Like, give me the theology of Paul. Like, talk to me about predestination. I'm ready for it. But when someone starts telling a story from the Old Testament, you feel like, come on, aren't we a little beyond that? This sermon series is addressing exactly that feeling. Um, If you don't feel it right now, maybe you felt in the past, or you will in the future. I think early on in our faith, the power and presence of God is so real to us that when we open the scriptures, everything is super interesting. You meet a new believer and they are deep into the genealogies and they're like, isn't this crazy? This guy was the son of this guy. And you're like, that is, that's crazy that you like that sort of thing. <laughs> but you, you really, there's a fascination that oftentimes wears off. Um, this morning, we're going to be in the story of, of Manasseh. Manasseh uh, was notoriously a wicked king, but before we dive into his story, I'm going to tell you a little about the context of the two books that his story is found in. His story is found in the book of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. Now, interesting thing about 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles is that that they're written uh, with two different audiences in mind, even though they have a lot of shared stories, a lot of overlap. So, the book of Kings, First and Second Kings, was written to a people currently in exile. It was written to Israel after they had not only heard the warning of God, but disobeyed God, been conquered, and now they're in a foreign land. And this is to them, and it's explaining this big question. The book of Kings, when you think of Kings, it's, it's answering this big question. Why did this happen to us? Why are we here? Now, if you look at Chronicles, it's answering a completely different question. (laughs) Think of these questions in relationship to your life. This will fascinate you, right? Like, why are you where you're at now? Well, maybe go read Kings and you'll see. And Kings is predominantly a very negative look at Israel. The stories are are sad and distressing. And then you turn to Chronicles and it's the people outside of exile. They've come back, they've started coming back and it's only the kings of Judah because it's these people who are now coming to Jerusalem and they're seeing it in ruins and they're asking this question, are we still the people of God? And do the promises given to, to King David and to King Solomon, are they still for us? Have you ever asked that question? Are the prom- I've screwed up so much, and, and I'm, I'm back, but are the promises of God still for me? And that's, that's what we're looking at in Chronicles. So it's a much more positive look. So, so as we look at, at Manasseh in 2 Kings, and, and Manasseh, the king in 
Second Chronicles, you're looking at, at them answering two different questions, right? Does that make sense to you guys? And so when we, when we look at Chronicles, it's this fascinating story. It's not just additional information to the book of Kings, but it's actually the, the early church father, Jerome, he, he called it the chronicle of all spiritual history. That's where the name Chronicles comes from, the chronicle of all spiritual history, because it starts with a genealogy that goes for nine chapters. Fascinating, right? And, and the first person in the genealogy is Adam. And so it's this chronology of all spiritual history saying not only where did we come from, what's my history, but who am I now? Uh, the promises of God still for me. Fascinating, right? And so it, it, it quickly kind of deals with the story of King Saul, right, as it starts getting to the narrative. And then it, it clearly talks about the promises given to King David. And King David, if you're not familiar with biblical history, is this the first king of Israel that really followed hard after God. He wasn't the first king of Israel. The first king of Israel was a guy named Saul. And Saul was the, right, he was the king that Israel wanted. He was a really beautiful man, kind of was taller than everybody. And when people looked at him, they were like, that's the dude, right? And so that was Saul, but Saul's heart was so concerned with what other people wanted that he never could really follow God because he was always concerned with what the people wanted. And so his heart wasn't after God. And so, so his rule came to an end and, and then God said, you know, I'm going I'm to raise up a king whose heart is for me. And that's what we get in King David. And so King David, having a heart for God, wants to honor God. And so he wants to create a temple that can be this permanent fixture where people can go and meet with God, right? And yet what happens is that, that God comes to David through a prophet. And throughout the Kings and Chronicles, you have prophets coming and speaking the word of God to the kings of Israel. And so a prophet comes to King David and he says, you are not the one to build the temple, but you will have a son who builds the temple and his kingdom will have no end. It will go on forever, it's in Chronicles, right? And that's the promise, it's one of the promises that the people out of exile are asking, is that promise still for me? Now he has a son, that son who would build the temple. And his son Solomon, who we looked at a couple weeks ago, he built the temple, it was gorgeous, and he sacrifices all these animals, and he prays a prayer to God. And he says, God, whenever people seek your face, when they come to this temple, will you meet them here? Even if they've disobeyed, even if they've disobeyed so badly that you've sent them away, if they come back here, will you meet with them? Will you come? Will you make this your place? And God responds in Second Chronicles 7. It says, the Lord appeared to Solomon at night. So starting in verse 12, and he says, I have heard your prayers and I have chosen this place for myself as a temple. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among the people, if my people, this is such a beautiful verse, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. This is the promise that Israel is saying, is this still for us? If we come back 
to God, if we humble ourselves, if we turn from our wickedness, will our sins be forgiven? And so they're, they're holding on to what God said to Solomon, that if you humble yourself, if you turn, if you pray, that, that I will heal you. We're getting the story of Manasseh. Manasseh had a dad named Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah is known as a good king, a king who, uh, this is one of the, the, the lines you see in, in Kings and Chronicles, is he was a king that did what was right in the eyes of God. As you go through Kings and Chronicles, every single king pretty much starts with this line, they did what was right in the eyes of God, or they did what was evil in the eyes of God. Now, there was a lot more that did evil in the eyes of God. And so when you get to one, like Hezekiah, it says, he did what was right in the eyes of God, you're like, I can't wait. And so Hezekiah, he, he spent almost his whole time rebuilding the temple, right? Um, getting, getting tithes and offerings from the people and, and putting it into making the, the temple, again, a focal point of the people of Israel. But he spent all his time there. I think that was one of the, the marks of what you see. And at the end of Hezekiah's life, it says he gets proud. Right? So he, he's invested in the, the people of God and the place where God dwells, and yet pride fills his heart at the end of his life, and he doesn't really finish well. And I think this is what Manasseh saw because Manasseh became king when he was 12 years old. Right, this is the story of our guy, Manasseh, king at 12. And what he saw at the end of his father's life was, uh, was this crazy workaholic nature, investment in the temple, and pride, so much so that when, when envoys from Babylon come, these guys from Babylon come to, the, to Israel, it says that Hezekiah, Manasseh's dad, shows them everything, everything. He, he doesn't leave anything out. He's like, check out my cool temple, right? Check out my cool palace. And he goes around, he shows them. <laughs> Are you guys awake? Are you with me? <laughs> it's like Cribs, Israel style, right? Like, like Hezekiah is so proud of all his shoes. Like he wants them to see that. That's what's going on. But he shows them everything. But it's pride. It is all pride. And so so. God sends a prophet to Hezekiah and says this to Hezekiah. He goes, everything that you showed them will be taken by them. And Hezekiah, because he's a proud man, he goes, well, at least there's going to be safety in my life. And then he says to the prophet, this is what he says. He says, the word of the Lord's good. How can you say that? He's like, oh, this is going to be demolished. And, and Hezekiah goes, that's okay. God's good, right? Like, it's not going to be me. And so Manasseh, Manasseh is a king who does evil in the eyes of the Lord. Hezekiah's son. And so if you turn with me to 2 Kings, we're going to look at, see Kings, right? Remember, what's Kings? Kings is a negative view. Why did we get here? And, and Chronicles is a positive view. Where do we go from here? And so what we get in the book of 2 Kings is... Um, 2 Kings 21, it talks about uh, how Manasseh, from the age of 12, started ruling the people. So uh, 2 Kings 21, starting in verse 2, it says, He did evil in the lives of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before Israel. And then it just goes, it's almost bullet point fashion here, starting in, in verse 3. I want you to see this. Like literally, it's the name of one thing after another that he is doing that, 
that is evil and as the Lord. It says he rebuilds the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He has also erected altars to Baal, made an Asherah pole. So what these are, are, are these are the gods of the Assyrians, right? The people who have taken, um, who, who uh, came and, and visited Hezekiah, these are the gods of those people, right? And so he, he builds altars to their gods. And it says, as Ahab king of Israel done, he bows down to all the starry hopes and he worshiped them. Going on, he says, he built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem, I will put my name. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire and practiced divination, saw omens and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. He took carved Asherah pole he had made and put it in the temple of which the Lord had said to David and to his son. In this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of Israelites wander from the land I gave their ancestors if only they will be careful to do everything I commanded them and will keep the whole law that my servant Moses gave them. And and listen to this. The people did not listen. Manasseh led them astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. And so before we go on here, what I want to look at is, is how, why, right? This is the big question we're asking in Kings is, is why are they here? And what we see in the story of Manasseh is two things. And if you're following along in your notes, the first thing I want you to see is this is don't be defined by what you defy. See, I, and, and what I mean by this is I think Manasseh had daddy issues. Okay? What you see in the story of Hezekiah is an, he was consumed with rebuilding the temple. And it consumed him. It was his pride and joy. And I think he neglected Manasseh. Because the first thing Manasseh does is the furthest away he can in the mountains, he starts rebuilding high places, right? This is incredible. As you see this this story of of Hezekiah who starts as a really good king but but ends as not a good king. So what what I want you to think of is if you're going to relate with Manasseh and if you're going to relate with the people of Israel as they're reading his story and coming to understand Why are we here? The question is this. Have you been so consumed with something that you're against that it begins to define you? This happens in kids all the time who are angry at their parents. They are so angry at their parents, it casts a shadow over their entire life. They become like their parents because they are so angry at their parents I think this can happen oftentimes when, whenever we are so against something. It could be something really bad, even like drugs. Something can be so against it, but all they're doing is talking about it. They become consumed with it, right? This happened during our election. People became so against Donald Trump, he literally had more ad power than anyone else because everyone talked about him. And all these people who were like so against him, they just talked about him all the time. They were consumed, and people still are. It's crazy. 
your disappointments? Are you so consumed with your disappointments in life that it is defining you? So often in our lives, we are defined by the things we are defying, and we're not defined by what is good and lovely and righteous. Because if you focus your eyes on the Lord, you know what? All those other things, they're going to become peripheral. And if they don't go away, you know what? You're going to be fearless because you fear the Lord. But Manasseh got so consumed... I think with with what he was upset at. His father, who at the end of his life could just say, well, screw my son, who cares if Babylon comes and takes over? And Manasseh saw it, and he was upset about that. And so what did he do? Well, this is the second thing. It's this, what we call, I call a slow fade. Right? What is the slow fade? Well, it's this. Sin does not respect the boundaries that you make for it. And I think we see this slow fade in Manasseh's life because right, he starts in the mountains rebuilding the high places. And I think it could have been something for him. Like He was like, well, it's just going to stay in the mountains. Like, it's just going to be my thing out there. Right? Like, like it's, never, it's not going to become a Jerusalem thing. It's just kind of my thing out there. And yet we do this in our lives. right? We have a sin that we're kind of okay keeping, thinking it's going to be our little secret. And, and so I just wrote down a lot of things that, that can start this... <coughs> slow fade. Have you ever said this? Well, it doesn't matter that much. I'll just try it once. I've always been a good kid. I'm not like the other people. It's just kind of an experiment. You know, I'll tell someone if this gets really bad, right? All of those things, all these things, I love God, so I'm okay, when your heart says those sinners and doesn't say I am a sinner that is saved by grace if if those are things that you are using those are justifications for your slow fade right because I think I think Manasseh probably had that 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 he thought he was finally in control he was a king he was 12 years old and so probably what he thought is, you know what? I'm not going to do what my dad always did. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so he, what he did is he went and he had some people build an altar to a foreign god. And this is what happened. He felt powerful. You know what? Because he was his own man. <laughs> and he felt free because he could do it. He could defy his father. But you know what? All of a sudden that freedom started possessing him. And it was never enough. Somehow it just was never enough. And so it moved closer and closer. Right now, now he's going out and he's worshiping. And eventually it moves all the way into the temple of God. So why? Why are they in exile? Because of this. Because they thought it wasn't a big deal to defy God. It wasn't a big deal to have a little idol in the mountains. But it was a big deal because it doesn't stop there because you, you do not set the boundaries of sin in your life. Right? If you let it in a little bit, you know what? It's all in. Like, it's not like, I'm just going to let like 3% of sin in my life because it's kind of fun sometimes. Right? Like, no, like, <laughs> it's not how it works. You are powerless when it comes to sin in your life. You don't have the power to fight it by yourself. And Manasseh didn't. That, that's why they are where they are. 
And that's the story of, of 2 Kings. And, and thankfully now, afterwards, we get 2 Chronicles, which is the story of what do we do now? Like, like sin just seemed to take over. What does it look, are we still, the, are the promises of God for us? That promise that God gave to Solomon, right? In 2 Chronicles, as we get it, 2 Chronicles 7, and he says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, will, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. And so in, in chapter 33, what we get is this. Starting in verse 10, it says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the armies of the king of Assyria. And they took Manasseh prisoner, and this is very graphic. It says, they put a hook in his nose, and they bound him in a bronze shackles, and they, they dragged him off to Babylon. So, so I, I, I kind of right now, this is the moment I regret not having a picture uh, because it would be very vivid. He has a, 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 a hook in his nose and he's just getting dragged off to Babylon. Well, while he is there, in verse 12 it says, In distress he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. And so he brought him back to Jerusalem to his kingdom. And then it says in verse 15, it says, he got rid of the foreign gods and removed the images from the temple of the Lord. So two things. I, I want to honor, honor the time we have here. And so there's two things. What, how, do we, how do we recover? Are we still the people of God? And this might be a question in your heart. If you've let sin in and sin has seemed to take over, are the promises of God still for you? And so there's two things that Manasseh learned, that the people of God pray to God. Right? The people of God pray to God. Manasseh was known as a man of prayer. You see this later in verse 18. This is really cool. As it closes off the story of Manasseh in Second Chronicles, it says the other events of Manasseh's reign, including his prayer to God, and the words... Uh, the seer spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, are written in the annals of the king of Israel. His prayers and how God moved by his entreaty as well as his sins and etc. So what it says is his prayers, his prayers are recorded. Why? Because Manasseh became a man of prayer. He sought the face of God. And, and this is, I've never quoted the Apocrypha before on a Sunday morning, but there's this interesting book in the Apocrypha called The Prayers of Manasseh. And, and what it is, actually, as you look at it, is it's just, it's, a, it's a kind of a gathering of verses throughout the Bible and bringing together prayers of repentance to form his prayer. And it starts like this, and now I bend the knee of my heart, imploring your kindness. I have sinned, O Lord, I have sinned, and I acknowledge my transgressions. I earnestly implore you, forgive me, Lord, forgive me. This, this is Manasseh. He comes to God and he confesses to God. He is a, a man of prayer. And, and, and what this is saying is, yes, what God said to Solomon, that if my people will humble themselves and seek my face, I will heal them. And this is a promise for you also. But it is not complete without the second part, that the people of God destroy their other gods. Right? That's what he did. He came back and it says in verse 15, it says he got rid of the foreign gods 
and remove the image from the temple of the Lord. So you can't pray to God, you can't give lip service to God and then go back and still have your pet gods, right? You, you can't go like, well, I'm going to take it out of the temple, but I'm going to leave it in the high places. And, and so what did this say to Israel? Yes, like the promises of God are still for you, but you can't have your pet gods. It can't be, it can't be Jesus and something else. I was at this, this um, seminar class with Kirsty and Jordan this week, and, and there was this question that kind of hit me wrong, and it was this, what is the value added the church has in the life of the, the believer or, or the life of, of anyone? It was actually talking about how millennials get reconnected to the church. And, and I thought, like, Jesus isn't just a value added. <laughs> it says, if you, if you want to come to him, you must deny everything and pick up your cross and follow him. Right? To, to become a person of God mean, means that all other gods, all other things that have vied for his attention are put to the side. He is not one among, he is the only and as long as we, we try pairing God with other things to have a funner life, funner, I think is a word now these days, if, <laughs> don't be distracted, stay with me, <laughs> just because I didn't use right grammar. Okay, if we try to pair God with anything else to make our lives a blast, you cannot, right, you cannot put boundaries on that. All of a sudden, you will be wondering, why is my heart like this? Are the promises of God for me? God said this, but why am I so profoundly not free? It's because God hasn't kept his end of the bargain. It's because you're getting polluted. It's because I'm getting polluted. And so to, to be a person of prayer and to come to God and confess means that then we go and we destroy our idols. And so a question I want you guys asking this week in community groups and when you talk is, is there something you need to destroy? Is something you just need to, get to be done with? Or is it making you bitter? Is it making you defiant? Are you defined by that thing, by proxy? Because it's just present. So, <laughs> time's up. But man, I, I want to implore you guys, ask these questions. Why are you here? Why are you here in the place you're at in your life? And are the promises of God still for you? And let this story of Manasseh answer that. Let it, let it be an answer. Let the Bible ring true for you as it is true. And as a final note, it is worth getting through nine chapters of genealogy for this. <laughs> Read your Bibles. Pray with me. Oh God, I pray that we will not be defined by our sin. God, that we will so see you today. We will so see you exalted in the stories of the Bible. So see you reigning over all things. That we shed sin in our lives. That we we let go to grab a hold of you. God, make this church a people of prayer. Seek your face. Love you. God, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.